everybody. We are so happy you're here with us today. Welcome to Your Teen with Sue and Steph. I'm Sue. And I'm Steph, and we are the co-founders and owners of Your Teen Media, the resource for parenting tweens and teens. And today, we're talking to Dr. Shairi Turner, Chief Medical Director of the Crisis Text Line, a service that provides free, 24-7, high-quality text-based mental health support and crisis intervention. We'll discuss how the service works and how it can help our teens survive this ongoing mental health crisis. But first, we are going to talk about so it's so always so hard when we have a compelling, worrisome interview with somebody. The crisis text line is addressing that, which is so important, and it's such an amazing interview. But it makes it harder for us to banter because it's not light and it's not fun and it's hard to giggle over something like this. So our conversation today is going to take a more serious turn, and we're going to talk about what are we seeing? What are we noticing? And what have we experienced in terms of this ongoing crisis among young people, mental health crisis? And it's not new, but it certainly was exacerbated by COVID. I just watched this movie that was sent to me called My Ascension. I started it last night, which I shouldn't have because it was impossible to sleep after watching an hour of it. And then I finished the rest of it this morning. And once I started, like once the tears started, they just, I couldn't stop. And it's really from the perspective, the narrator is a young woman who survived a suicide attempt. And she just goes around the country talking to all of these kids about her experience. And all you feel is the pain that our kids are living with right now. Like the deep, profound pain that I do not remember experiencing as a teenager. I mean, it wasn't happy. It wasn't like life was great, but I don't remember this feeling of, like one girl said, I just don't feel like I have a right to be here. I have no purpose. And it's like, it just broke my heart. Anyway, it's called My Ascension. It's available for schools and organizations to show. I'll get the information so we can put it in the show notes in case you want to bring it to your community. But it is really, really worth watching and so tied into what Dr. Shayuri Turner does every day, which is giving help to anybody, but also our teens, our young adults. Everybody has suffered, and particularly our kids who, you know, most of them were not in school, not having socialization. I mean, we could talk about that for, for days. What I want to focus on are some of the things that our listeners are going to hear from Dr. Turner, which really impacted me. She is the chief medical officer for the crisis text line. And what I love about what she said is that the crisis can be defined however you want it. And I think there is this, maybe there's been this stigma, I, I think it has lifted maybe a bit in COVID, about what a crisis is. And, you know, the crisis could be that you got left out of the lunch table that day. The crisis could be like, you're just feeling really sad right now and you don't even know why. The point is that like the crisis text line is there for everybody and it is self-defined. And I love that because it gives everybody that ability or that, that comfort to know that however they're feeling is okay and is gonna be received in the same way they've put it out there. And I, I just love that. And one other thing that she said was this idea about how late at night, you know, teens are, you know, they're laying in bed and they're, you know, the thoughts are going and maybe they're perseverating on something and how giving kids 
teens this outlet at a time where they're feeling really isolated, lonely, et cetera. Like they have a way to reach out to someone. And I guess I keep going back to those two things that I think are really, really positive. Like I feel like I can't tell enough people about it. We have talked about this often on this show that it's like calling the fire department and you call the fire department and you say, I'm smelling gas, but I don't really think it's anything. Please don't come with your sirens on. Is there anything I can do to check so you don't have to send somebody? And their answer is we'd rather come and find out that it was nothing, right? Like there's no, the threshold for making that phone call should be much lower than the embarrassment my family in particular feels. Actually, this is a little bit of a funny story. It starts when Dan and his mother were in their house when they lived in Boston, outside of Boston, and they smelled something. And they were dreading any attention. They're both like (laughs) reserved. They don't want any neighbors seeing anything. And they beg, beg the fire department to come quietly. Could you just send the chief with his car and no, no big trucks or anything like that? And they settle in and they're playing cards or something. And they hear these sirens and they look at each other and they're like, oh, my God, they're coming here. (laughs) And so that lives on in my husband who like is like, do you have to call? But they'll tell you over and over again, make that call. The pediatrician will say, check in with me. I don't care if it turns out to be nothing. And the crisis text line is there for just that reason. And your point about like it being 24-7 and giving kids access is just, you know, it's it's really a gift that we can give our kids to just jot down that number somewhere, which I think is 741741. It is. And you took my next comment. I was just going to say, so I, you know, I had been thinking about a friend who had shared something with me and I was like, oh, I wonder if they know about this. And I reached out to her and said, do you know about this? Does your kid know about this? And her comment was so brilliant. She said, it's already plugged into all of our phones. So she's already messaged to her kid, like, here you go. Like anytime. And I thought, wait a minute, why haven't I done that? It was just, I thought that was so brilliant. It's just, it's having like the extra gas container in the car. It's having all these preventive things. And why not? You don't need it. You don't need it. But here it is. It's great. Cause I'm much more inclined to make the appointment when the number's in my phone. Like if I, you know, if I have right. two minutes, I'm like, oh yeah, I have that in my uh, contacts. So think about, you know, mm-hmm. that lonely time when no one else is up and around and it's there. It's just in your phone. That's brilliant. Thank her. Thank your friend. This conversation is so, we're so at the beginning of this crisis. After watching this movie, I just felt like I want to stop doing everything and only somehow be part of the solution to this particular crisis. It just feels so, so much more acute. And I don't know what that looks like for all of us. The movie has a, a, discusses a program that goes into schools that is peer to peer and sounds like it's very effective. When death is the thing we worry about most with our kids, and right now kids are thinking about it more than they did before, and some many, many taking action on that, how do we not like put every put politics aside, put everything else aside, and try to tackle this? Yeah, and I have one other thing, Sue, when you're just talking about being part of the solution. I think, I don't think I'm making this up, I feel like Dr. Turner talked about the volunteers for the crisis text line, and I think it's like 30 hours of training or a minimum of 30 hours of training. I'm sure they're always looking for volunteers, and maybe people listening to it will be inspired to volunteer. Up next is our conversation with Dr. Shairi Turner. We've given you a glimpse, just a nugget of what you're going to hear. So we hope you'll stay with us because she really, she's doing holy work. We can't wait for you to join us. 
You know, a lot can happen in seven minutes, and luckily, that's how long it takes me to tell a story. My name is Aaron Califato, and I'm the creator of 7-Minute Stories. I'm proud to partner with Evergreen Podcasts, and I'd like to invite you to join me on this journey. I'm going to take you on some crazy roller coaster rides using my unique extemporaneous storytelling style, and together, we're going to try to make sense of the world, all through the art of storytelling, and all in approximately seven minutes. Dr. Shairi Turner is the Chief Medical Officer of the Crisis Text Line. Her previous work includes over a decade of advocacy on juvenile justice, public health, disproportionate minority confinement, trauma histories of incarcerated women, and the neurobiology of trauma. Dr. Turner, thank you so much for being here. So the obvious place to start with you is that our kids are not okay. Everywhere we turn, we hear about the mental health crisis among our teens and college-age students, but I've heard you say it's okay to not be okay. So just as a starting point for this, what's going to be an amazing conversation, can you just tell us what do you mean by that? Thank you, Sue, and thank you, Steph, for inviting me for this very important discussion. When I say that it's okay to not be okay, we know right now that we are in the midst of a youth mental health crisis at epidemic proportions, especially for our youth of color who are experiencing rates of suicide that are climbing faster than their white counterparts. So what it's okay to not be okay means in that setting is given all that's going on, pandemic, politics, racial and social reckonings, children, teens, adults, we all may find ourselves feeling it in some way. One day we may be great, another day not so good. So instead of pushing through and questioning why we're not functioning at 100%, if we step back and say, today I'm not okay, What do I need in this moment? What do I need to feel better? What do I need to fill my cup to replenish? Saying that allows for us to to pause for a moment and really assess where we are and find the tools or whatever we need to cope with what's going on in that moment. So we don't just keep pushing and pushing and pushing and thinking we have to be 100% all the time despite what's going on in our environment. And instead, we take a moment, we figure out you know, what would be most helpful, what do we need, and then proceed from there. So it's really a way of giving ourselves grace, giving ourselves space during a very tumultuous time of uncertainty. And the last thing I would, I would add is, especially as parents, we still have to put our own face mask on first, whatever that looks like. We have to make sure that we are taking care of ourselves so that we can help and take care of our children. Whenever someone says, give ourselves grace, I feel tears. Like they're just, it, it's kind of a concept that is so forgiving and, and we don't give ourselves permission to be forgiving about ourselves. So I really appreciate you saying that. We don't give ourselves space for grace is what I sometimes say because we have to allow that space in our lives. We have to allow that space in our mind to pause for, to take care of ourselves. Can you explain what the crisis text hotline does and who it serves? 
So Crisis Text Line is a nonprofit organization that provides free 24-7 high-quality mental health support and crisis intervention in English and in Spanish. We define crisis not as just suicide or pre-suicide. Crisis for Crisis Text Line means anything that the texter feels they cannot cope with. So whether that is an eight-year-old who is struggling with homework and texts in, or it's someone who is actually on the brink of suicide. But what happens regardless is a text will come in, it will be received by a volunteer, It's triage, so if someone texts in with certain words that we've determined put them at high risk, that texture will be moved to the front of the queue and prioritized, sort of like in an emergency room. Someone who comes in with a bullet wound is going to be seen more quickly than someone who has may have a sprained ankle. So we ensure that when the text comes in, it's prioritized, It's received by a volunteer. So our volunteers are people from all backgrounds, all walks of life, who are uh, trained with our 30-hour training online and supervised by our mental health professionals. So those are our staff. When the texter texts in, the volunteer goes through really a, a several stage, several stages of the conversation. So Every texture, regardless of the reason they texted in, every texture is risk assessed. So that means even if I texted in about my homework, the volunteer has been taught how to gently and kindly ask if there are any concerns or thoughts about hurting yourself or suicide. So everyone is risk assessed. So we don't miss anyone who might have suicide, suicidality or thoughts of suicide or self-harm in the back of their head and don't feel comfortable yet articulating that. Once it's determined whether or not they are at imminent risk, if they're not at imminent risk, then the volunteer works with the texture, explores what the crisis is, helps them to de-escalate by focusing on some of the strengths that they may have, helping them to identify coping strategies, really taking the the texture from a hot moment to a cooler calm, really de-escalating. And sometimes these conversations can take, these text conversations can take up to 45 minutes. And, and just to be, I don't know if I said it before, but Crisis Text Line is purely text and chat. And anyone can text 741-741 to crisis text line, and they will be received by the counselor. So what's the follow-up? I mean, if I'm in that deep a crisis at that moment, and you take me from like my height of, of crisis, and you settle it down, is there a follow-up plan with you guys? Or how, how do you con- follow through with that? Presuming you're not at imminent risk of suicide, we are take you to the point where you feel safe, you feel comfortable. We provide every texture with free resources, either from our website or from other national organizations or websites that are relevant to whatever the crisis situation might have been. Many times, especially for teens, we'll 
will share some coping strategies, some a GIF, a video, something that they can use afterwards to help, like, say, with anxiety. So here are some tools to help you calm. Something that they can have after the conversation, the text conversation is over. We don't follow up in, in the sense of texting back because we're very mindful of confidentiality and safety for people. So one of the wonderful things about text is you can text from anywhere, the classroom, the boardroom, the bedroom. You are texting like everyone else and no one needs to know that you are in crisis. So it's very important to us, number one, Crisis text line usually does not show up on phone bills. And number two, it's important that we don't just suddenly appear in someone's text feed or text chain unexpectedly. Because sometimes people are in difficult home situations where they're not always safe to receive texts that they did not initiate. So we don't circle back and follow up, but we do provide textures with resources and they're always able to text back to Crisis Text Line at a time that's convenient for them. Sherry, can you tell us what what are teens reaching out for? Is it depression? Is it eating it? Like give us what are what are some of the things that that we're seeing right now? What we do at Crisis Text Line just so I can explain how I I know this information. At the end of a text conversation, the texter can voluntarily provide demographic information, provide information. It's all anonymized, so it's not identifiable in any way. We don't collect any information that would identify a texter. But if they choose to complete our post-conversation survey, it's very helpful because it tells us about them, so their age, their demographics, their race, ethnicity, and then a little bit about the conversation, the topics that were covered. Our volunteers also complete a survey focusing on what are the topics that were covered, because then that allows me to answer this question. And what we know is that anxiety for teenagers, they're facing challenges to their well-being. So post-pandemic especially, we're seeing this rise in anxiety and stress, depression, sadness, loneliness, as you can imagine with isolation, relationships. But eating disorders and grief were some of the fastest growing issues amongst teen texters. So as you can think, with the loss of family members and friends to COVID, with the loss of time in school, teenagers are really dealing with with grief quite a bit. And then thoughts of suicide and self-harm also increased. And with the data insights that we have, we're able to say those percentages of those topics were higher amongst our teens of color, Black, Hispanic, Latinx, Asian, and uh, Native American, Indigenous people. The rates that we were seeing for those topics were even higher amongst those teenagers. So I think you have two kids, correct? I do. Okay, and are they teens? They are. They're uh, 18 and 19. As they hit adolescence, did you change as a doctor? And I guess what I'm getting at is the work that you're doing at the crisis text line, did that impact you as a mother? Just how that all fit together for you? Yes, absolutely. So 
all of our staff goes through the volunteer training. So we all know what it is that the volunteers are being trained on because it is our product, but also because it is a great training in active listening, in helping to identify problem, problem solving, identification of coping strategies. So I was actually able to use the tools that I learned from our training with my own children. It was a help for me as a parent, and we've heard this from other volunteers who are parents, who are teachers, to to learn these skills in a very linear and clear manner really helps with all relationships. So how do you actively listen to someone? How do you reflect back to them what you are hearing so they know and you know that you are understanding what they are saying? How do you problem solve in a way that doesn't tell the child what to do, right? Involve the child instead in coming up with solutions? And then how do you empower your children to find the things that help them cope? Because it's very individual. What may work for one person as a calming and coping strategy, say listening to music, rocking in a rocking chair, talking to friends, for another child, it could be completely different because they're they're absolutely unique individuals. So as my children were going through adolescence and I was working at Crisis Text Line, I found that the trainings that we created were very uh, applicable to real life and to parenting. The concept of resilience comes up over and over and over again. And in the beginning, you know, grit, resilience, it was all this research coming out of University of Pennsylvania with Angela Duckworth. And it's all so interesting, except that I really have never understood how we help our kids build resilience. I understand what resilience looks like, but... When you're looking at taking these tools and helping your kids, how do we say tick off the box today for resilience? It is a wonderful question because I think we are using resilience quite a bit. And resilience feels like, in the way that we use it, that it's a it's a destination and not a journey. And to me, as a parent, resilience is a journey, right? And it's a journey that has pit stops because you know, not every day, you know, we're, we're not building resilience every day. Some days are not good days, right? Some days it goes back to the checkoff, it's okay to not be okay day, <laughs> right? And that's the day we're looking at today. But in getting to resilience, in getting to, and what do we mean when we say that, right? It's getting to a place where in many times, in most times, not necessarily in all times, we feel like we can cope with whatever life throws our way, right? So how do we help children, teenagers, build those skills, right? Well, first of all, we have to, again, give ourselves grace and give the child grace to know that not every situation is going to be a resilience-building situation, right? Some Sometimes you just have moments with your child where it's like, I'm going to help, you know, we're going to get through this together. But resilience building, it's really about taking each moment, taking each situation that a child encounters, and number one, being there and being present, right? So you won't know if your child is having a difficult time if you're not pausing in your day and checking in. Being available, being present means that you're going to be a sounding board, a safe space for your child to come to you 
because those moments aren't, can, you know, as you get into the teenage years, those moments can be far and few between where they feel like, all right, this is a moment I'm going to discuss this with my mom or dad. And if they feel like you're too busy or they feel like you're on your phone or you don't have the time, they may not come circle back again with that situation. But when they do share those moments of vulnerability, it's about problem solving together. It's about helping them understand how they can handle a situation either better in the future or currently using the tools that they have. It's about reflecting with them on what worked well in an interaction or what didn't, right? So those are all, that's part of the journey, right? Because then the next time it's saying, see, this time you utilize those tools we talked about. You you handled the conflict differently. And you don't have to say like, today you were resilient, but you handled this today, right? And and they feel empowered. So really the journey to resilience is, is a brick by brick pathway of empowerment, a pathway to empower your children. I think that's so helpful. I do know that the hardest thing for me in the story you're telling is not not solving the problem because I'm pretty sure I can jump in and solve it for them. I think like, especially as we talk about parents being maybe overly engaged in their kids' lives, what you just described is really training them, not doing it. Yes. It's the whole, you know, teach a child to fish, right? If we're always handing them fish, they're not learning to fish for themselves. And the other thing that I I think we've morphed into as parents is, is like, my child cannot fail. My child cannot stumble. My child, you know, needs a trophy every time. And we're not providing necessarily by by approaching things that way, they're not really seeing that there are going to be failures in life. There are going to be times that you stumble and it's about how you get up, right? So let's teach them how to get up and what to do when they fall down, but let's do it in a collaborative way so that they're using, you know, their tools to get up as opposed to the tools that we're handing to them. Such a beautiful lead-in to our next question. (laughs) You talk about having this toolkit to deal with stressors. Can a teenager create their own effective toolkit without professional help? What would that look like? Creating their own tool, I love this question. So creating their own toolkit means that they, number one, can identify sometimes what their triggers are. So what are the things that upset them or, you know, send them to a space that where they don't feel good about what's going on. We actually at Crisis Text Line have a mental health school toolkit in which there's a, a mental health crisis plan that they can download and print out that allows a teen to identify what their coping strategies would be, what they would do, who they would call, where they would go, what are the things that they would do in a moment of crisis so that they're not thinking about it in the moment. They are actually, they go to their their toolkit, they go to their, their plan and say, all right, when I feel like this, I'm going to try music first. I'm going to try journaling second. I'm going to go talk to this adult teacher whomever that I feel would be helpful. And the plan is empowering because it allows the child, the teenager could even speak to the trusted adult in advance to say, I'm putting you on this plan because 
when I'm in crisis, I'd like to, to turn to you and talk to you. So that way, the adult is prepared. So back to your original question, I think the toolkit is something that we can sit with our children in a time of calm and explore what are the strategies that you want to deploy when you get upset, when a situation doesn't go your way. Let's list them out and have them here available so that you can be empowered to support yourself. And that includes actually having them save 741-741 into their phone so that they can reach out independently. It's about giving them agency. It's really about empowering the child and giving them agency. That said, a parent does not have to feel like they are the therapist, right? There are times when children need professional help. And it doesn't have to be in the moment when they start talking about death or dying. It can be when you feel like they are struggling, struggling in school, not themselves. Behaviors have changed. It's never too early to talk about this with a pediatrician, a school guidance counselor, or to to find a mental health professional. The earlier, the better, because we can get ahead of, you know, some serious situations if a child feels like they can talk to a professional. If a parent is listening and they want to send their kid to see the toolkits that are available for them, where would they go? So they could go to our website, which is www.crisistextline.org backslash schools. That will take them to the toolkit, which provides information for anyone who touches a child. So parent, teacher, school administrators, the teen. We have a a kit for teenagers and for college-age students. So in there, there's just a plethora of resources available for everyone, including, you know, how to talk to your child about suicide or death and dying or, or mental health issues. So it's, it's really a full spectrum of a place where parents can go, where teens can go to find resources to help with the toolkit. This is such a hard one because there are some times where we hear about stories where there seem to be no signs and everyone's shocked. But how can we know as parents that our kids are in crisis? Right. So that's probably one of the most disarming things for parents is when we hear about a a teen or a young adult who dies by suicide and no one feels like they had any lead up, any um, signals, anything that would have told them that their child was at this level, right? And it speaks to several things. One of the things it speaks to is impulsivity, how teenagers, young adults still are very impulsive. And when there is access to weapons in the home or pills that are not locked up, they're able to act on that very impulsive feeling, whereas sometimes that impulsive feeling can pass. Or if a teenager, young adult has that crisis plan, they will go to the steps in the plan as opposed to reaching for a weapon that's, that's not well secured. Other circumstances, will it will reveal some crisis. So what would be the moments where you say, I, you know, these are the signs you should be really watching for. So the things you should be watching for, if there are predictors, right? It's it's about 
first opening the space to your child when they're not in crisis to say, I want to hear if you're having thoughts of death or dying or hurting yourself. Like saying, and and that can be introduced by saying, there's a lot going on right now in this country, in your school, in this family, however you want to contextualize it. There's a lot going on that can be hard to deal with. And sometimes kids can feel like they want to hurt themselves. Opening that conversation in a peaceful time shows a child that you are not going to go running from the room if they tell you this, right? So it it allows them to say, yes, I've had those thoughts. And as parents, we just need to know that that asking those questions does not induce or does not suggest to the child or make the child want to go and harm themselves. So I think that's a very important data that ex- piece of data that exists out there because some parents are afraid to have a conversation like that where they ask about thoughts of death and dying for fear of causing the child to then go and want to to harm themselves. So the first step is to say, I can handle this conversation as a parent and I want you to come to me if you have these feelings or these thoughts. And then being present with your child and noticing those changes in behavior, increased sleep, decreased sleep, increased eating, decreased eating, more anxious behavior, crying, any changes, right? So parents know their children the best because they're around them the most. When you see changes in your child's behavior, that is the time to ask. There's so many different behavior patterns that it's really the parent being available and watching and knowing that something's going on with my child and opening up that safe space to listen and not provide solutions, but really hear deeply and reflect back what's going on for your child and just saying like, I'm here for you. If you're having these thoughts, let's go get help, right? I'm. You're not going to disappoint me. You're not going to frighten me. If you're having these thoughts, I want to hear them so that you are not alone and so that together we can go get help. The other thing I would say in terms of thinking about how do we see this coming? How do we see some of these suicides coming? We don't talk about childhood trauma enough. We're still starting to talk about it. We're still, we're starting to talk about it more in all domains. But the Adverse Childhood Experience Study came out in 1996, and it speaks to really all of the traumas that can occur with children between the ages of zero and 18 that are leading predictors to thoughts, to mental health issues, thoughts of suicide, self-harm, drug use, et cetera. And that things that fall into those categories of adverse experiences are childhood abuse, childhood neglect, child sexual abuse, parental mental health issues, divorce, incarceration of a parent. So there's a a lengthening list, I should say, even longer than the Adverse Childhood Experiences study explored that look at the traumas, the things that happen to our children that can then affect their mental health during childhood and into adulthood. So I would say if a parent knows their child has had an adverse experience has had a childhood trauma, know that that is a risk factor for future self-harm or suicide. I think this is a like a full-blown other conversation. But aside from now we know that 
asking your kid about self-harm is not going to make them think about it. It's not going to be the impetus for them to do something. I think the bigger picture is who the hell wants to find out the answer to that question? Like, I don't want to ask it because I'm terrified that they might say yes. And then what the, I, I don't even know what to do at that point, you know? So, but I think if you'll come back on, we could have a whole conversation about that. I mean, it starts with like taking a deep breath, right? And and knowing that you you take a deep breath and you say, t- you have to prep yourself. And that may be with friends or family members. You practice that that question and that conversation because you'd rather have the conversation and hear the fact that they are than to wish that you had had that conversation when it's no longer possible. So you've had many roles at at Crisis Text Line. And um, right now, I believe you are the chief health officer? Yes. Okay, so tell us what that does, what what that entails, and, and can you give us a glimpse of what's coming down the pike? I've been at Crisis Text Line since 2017 in several roles. I was the chief medical officer. I returned as the chief transformation officer and, and now as the chief health officer. I'm an internist and a pediatrician by training with a master's of public health and a background in trauma and trauma-informed care. So as the chief health officer, I lead the policy and advocacy team at Crisis Text Line, and we work, we really work around uh, policy development and policy, mental health policy and advocacy, both locally and nationally, oftentimes using the data and insights or that we collect. As the chief health officer, I lead the policy and advocacy team at Crisis Text Line. We are responsible for public policies and collaboration with other mental health organizations in leading legislative efforts and advocacy around all areas of mental health. So I lead that team. And then as a chief health officer as well, I am one of the leading voices in the organization around mental health and being a pediatrician around youth mental health. So uh, I am a, a strong advocate and just determined to help improve and work with and eliminate or diminish this youth mental health crisis and these uh, elevation of youth suicide rates that we're seeing and utilizing the data and insights and the voice that we have here at Crisis Text Line to continue to be a resource for youth, but also to continue to elevate the importance and significance of mental health and well-being. So what's interesting in coming down the pike for Crisis Text Line, well, I have to elevate our relatively new Spanish service, which launched uh, in August of 2021, which is a completely bilingual and bicultural Spanish text and chat service that doesn't exist nationally anywhere else besides Crisis Text Line. Our volunteers are bilingual. They are trained in cultural competency. And our mental health professionals who supervise them are bilingual as well. So it's it's not a translational service. And what I'm looking for, forward to is continuing to improve that service because we are we are just getting enough conversations in Spanish to be able to collate and and uh, create insights that will help us improve that service delivery to the very vulnerable Latinx population, Latinx textures. 
Shairi Turner, like what you're doing is changing the world for all of us. And we're so grateful that you're doing it. And even looking at different populations and being able to provide services in their native language, and then take that data and be able to tell us how the world looks different for different people. It's also valuable and really thank you so much for what you're doing. Thank you both for having me here today. It's just been a, a great conversation and please continue the work that you're doing because it's so important. Thanks for joining us for the Your Teen Podcast. If you have any topics that you want us to talk about, let us know on our Facebook page or email editor at yourteenmag.com. If you're someone who reads an article and thinks of that one friend who has to read it too, think of our podcast the same way. Please share with that friend who's going to say, oh my God, I can't believe I didn't know about Your Teen with Sue and Steph. And do us a favor and review and rate the show on the podcast platform of your choice. You can find more from us at yourteenmag.com at evergreenpodcast.com or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Your Team with Sue and Steph is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Special thanks to executive producer Michael D'Aloya, plus producer Hannah Leach and audio engineer Eric Coltnow. We'll see you next time. Are you tired of seeing your teen or young adult struggle on a path that clearly isn't the right fit? Is your teenager confused about which direction to take after high school? The future of work is changing rapidly, and our kids need to know all of the options available after high school so they're empowered to make the choice that is best for them. In each episode, we explore the latest trends that are shaping the opportunities of today and tomorrow. I'm your host, Betsy Jewell, and this is the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast.